Hello and welcome to Beyond Beckdale, the podcast about women and film. This is part two of a two-parter, so I recommend that you go and listen to part one first and then come back here. We'll be waiting. And for those of you who want to carry on now, we are going to look firstly at the final girl trope and this episode is called Final Girl Problem. relationship with horror and I expect you might do too. While researching the genre for this episode a classic cinematic trope came right up behind me and shouted boo! It was the final girl and she was almost inescapable in horror movies in the 1980s and 90s. Well named the final girl is a staple of slasher movies. She is easy to identify as the final girl is always the only one left alive at the end of the movie. She has a purpose over and above what any plot synopsis might suggest. She is going to be the viewer's standing, our eyes and ears, and she will find and confront the villain. It's not easy being the final girl. She exists by a combination of luck and adherence to rules. The final girl does not, I repeat, does not have sex with anyone. And she doesn't think about removing an item of clothing either. Neither does she drink, smoke, nor do anything even remotely illicit. The final girl is a clever girl. She's resourceful. And that part about luck? For a long, long time, all the final girls were brunette. If you were blonde, you'd pretty much get offed straight away. And who says blondes have more fun? Although created by a man, just like the Bechdel-Wallace test, the final girl trope was actually identified by a woman. Carol J. Clover, in her 1992 book Men, Women and Chainsaws, Gender in the Modern Horror Film. Clover saw the final girl as a link between the films and the prevailing male audience of the horror genre. Writ large on screen, she is a stereotype within a stereotype. She is what a woman should be. We must follow her journey and effectively force those same male viewers to identify with a woman at the finale, which, for a brief moment, sounds feminist. Except that, according to Clover, filmmakers thought that male viewers wouldn't like to see a man in terror because that's a little too close to home, but would gladly see a woman suffer. A final girl who survives terror is purged of undesirable characteristics. You know, those bad, bad things like pleasure. 
Clover thought that the final girl trope represents an expression of patriarchal society where capable, independent women must be contained or destroyed. The final girl becomes masculinised through phallic appropriation by taking up a weapon such as a knife or a chainsaw and using it against the male killer. But before men get a little too comfortable with the final girl, they might want to look at how expendable male characters are in slasher flicks. So far, the final girl probably isn't a feminist, but there is some good news. The final girl is an anachronistic trope, peaking in the 70s, 80s, where your standard final girl was the sole survivor of a group of teenagers being hounded by a gruesome killer. The final girl gets her dramatic final confrontation with the killer. However, she is likely saved at the last minute by a man. What I find fascinating is that the final girl is the personification of a very particular form of privilege. She has a moral superiority. She is purer, better than everybody else, which is fine until we realise that she's extremely likely to get murdered in the sequel. The final girl was key to the slasher era, but with the 90s came science fiction horror and the 21st century is the age of supernatural horror. In fact, according to a 2017 thesis from Lauren Cup, the final girl has grown up and in modern cinema, she has been turned into the dysfunctional mother. Great. Famous final girls? Laurie Strode from Halloween comes to mind. Laurie's victory over the bad guy, Michael Myers, is actually ambiguous. She's alive at the end of the movie, but she doesn't really feel particularly victorious. In fact, Chris Higgins, who manages to be alive at the end of Halloween part three, has actually gone into a catatonic state. So being alive at the end isn't necessarily that great for the final girl. The 90s were less voyeuristic than the previous decades and films kind of riffed on the trope, giving their final girls unisex names like Avery or Sydney. Yes, Sydney from Scream brought the trope to wider attention. Sydney Prescott had a shared history with the killer. She investigates, she pushes the story forward, showing curiosity and vigilance. And Sydney, although brunette, had sex. Scream was followed by Buffy, and suddenly there was a blonde who had sex and could fight off demons. Other famous final girls include Alex Hardy in Friday the 13th, Nancy Thompson from A Nightmare on Elm Street, who appeared in the original and then came back in part three, Dream Warriors. These girls are all required to self-protect and vanquish evil. Wendy Torrance from The Shining, on the other hand, is the object of her husband's rage, and she uses a baseball bat to hurt the patriarchy. Go, Wendy. So, there is something positive to be taken from the final girl trope. Women are on screen more, they are portrayed as intelligent and cunning, and especially displaying these characteristics in the face of abject horror. Time for my depressing stats section. Researchers Zillman and Weaver felt that horror offers viewers a socially sanctioned opportunity to perform behaviours consistent with traditional gender stereotypes. Males exposed to a sexually violent slasher film may later believe that some violence against women is justified, or that's what they found out in their study. Other researchers, Lynn and Donnerstein, studied how viewers reacted to sexual images combined with explicit violence in slasher films, and found that this pairing minimises an adverse reaction to violence later. 
Perhaps it's because horror and porn both generate bodily sensation, but male viewers become less disturbed by seeing scenes of extreme violence and degradation directed at women, i.e. slasher horror movies with the final girl are bad because they make male viewers think it's okay to be violent towards women. Gloria Cowan and Margaret O'Brien found that after viewing slasher films, male university students were found to have less sympathy for rape victims, seeing them as less injured and think that maybe women enjoy rape. So this has all gone horribly wrong. The slasher films of the 90s are more violent than those of the 80s, and there was a 44% increase in the number of violent acts suffered by innocent victims, and characters were shown in terror for longer. That was a study from Molitor and Sapolsky. So, what does this mean? Yes, the final girl trope is bad, and so are horror movies. But what we need now is to have more women on screen. Because horror movies aren't going anywhere. People love going to the cinema. They like being thrilled. But what we need is to blow apart this standard idea of what women can and can't do on screen in terms of the patriarchy and its relationship to horror. It's good to be scared, whether you're a man or a woman. It's a reflex and we need to use it. It's okay to be frightened of clowns. It's not okay to equate sex and violence. More women directors, more women on screen talking to each other, fully dressed, who cares what their hair colour is or their eye colour. Have women fight a baddie. Have antagonists as female. Have men in danger who are saved by women. More female characters in a variety of different situations and with a variety of different personalities, skin colour, jobs or religious affiliations will help diversity in horror. We don't have to get rid of the final girl, we just need to make her the final person. And now let's go back to something a little bit more light-hearted, mine and Nick's discussion about horror movies and feminism. It's fun! Enjoy! Now, a better example is actually Scream, because mm. Scream passes the Bechdel test on a few occasions, and, mm. and obviously there are many films in the How many are there? Four? Lost at least four Scream films. I watched the first but one. Obviously, your main character is Sydney, and she, to some extent, is the virgin trope, definitely. Nev Campbell's portrayal is of the slightly odd um, girl at school, and that's obviously because of I think it's partly because she was in the craft and they saw something there because there's a little bit of a relationship between those two characters. Um, but she's she's brave. She kind of figures things out. And there are other characters in it, like Rose McGowan plays her best friend. Um, 
There's the Drew, famous Drew Barrymore scene. Is that Scream or Scream 2? No, that's Scream, yeah. Yeah, so at the very beginning of Scream, you have the Drew Bar Barrymore cameo, which is the classic. And then you obviously have all the characters. And it's more the guys, to be fair, who are the wise guys. And that's when you have the, my favourite bit of the whole Scream uh, quadrilogy is where in Scream 2, when they start talking about which sequels are better. This is, this is you know, a, a very knowing clever cleverly funny horror film yeah and yet it still scares you it's nowhere near as you know horrific or gory as a lot of other horror films but um it still gets your attention because it turns these tropes on their head and you have you know the reporter paper called fox and um they have interaction and you see a relationship develop between her character gail and uh, sydney throughout the films um and i think that it's i think that's smarter than cabin in the woods cabin in the woods likes to think that it's smart and the best thing about cabin in the woods is the bit at the end when every single horror monster comes out in mm. a two minute montage um <laughs> but in terms of female character development um the screen was there screen was there first oh yeah by my i mean yeah. I, I 20 years before probably screen was well advised yeah, and obviously it is it is a highly self-reflexive film. It's just taking the, the genre of it, you know, Halloween Friday the thirteenth John transplanting it forward and saying, Well, this is what happens when the people that are involved in it are aware of, of, of the uh, the norms, the tropes of the of, of the, the film that they're in. Um, and I don't think that it's actually that bad in terms of its female representation. There's not that much sexual content that I recall, not in the relationship to what you have in like Halloween in those films. No, no there is there are there. parties and there are um fraternities and um sororities yeah. and that kind of thing. And there are couples getting it on because they, they take she... the piss out of it there. They say don't don't go and have sex. You know, <laughs> if it's yeah or you know, don't leave, don't does she okay just just, here's just a Neb Campbell. Does yeah. does she have sex in that film? Yeah, she does because it's with. Oh, I don't know if they actually have sex. I can't remember, but it's Skeet Ulrich, mm, okay. who's her love interest. So they're, there's they're definitely subverting something. the genre. Yeah, there, and then later that. on, again, spoiler alert, he becomes one of the yeah, I remember killers. That. There she is, Sydney. Hi. 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 Are you all right? She's not answering any questions, all right? Just leave us alone. No, no, Tatum, it's okay. She's just doing her job, right, Kim? Yes, that's right. So, how's the book? Well, it'll be out later this year. Oh, I'll look for it. I'll send you a copy. But going forward, so let's say Cabin in the Woods and Scream have taught us something. I have some good news. Um, one of the more recent films, which I think is an absolutely brilliant horror film, and I put it at the beginning of the podcast, uh -huh. is one that well and truly passes on a number of occasions uh -huh. for that test, but you probably wouldn't think about <laughs> it at first sight, and that is It Follows. Uh, it Follows. Yeah. Now, It Follows is all about sex. So let's not, let's, and STDs, is it a metaphor for STDs? All kinds of things. Yeah. Or or that, rape or all kinds maybe, of things. Maybe, but the, yeah, yeah, the idea of, I always think that it's about STDs. So, um, the concept, yeah, that that's a horror film where it's scary, but the thing in itself, that there are very few genuinely horrifying moments in yeah. terms of the gore. 
but it is absolutely jam-packed with fright. Yeah. Peril. Well, I, I would say, first and foremost, I'd say it's probably one of the only first films centering around the sort of teenage age bracket that is not so judgmental about sex. Not at least on the face of it. Um, I think men and women are, are treated relatively evenly in that regard. They're both, in effect, punished for it in some shape or form. And everybody's uh, punished for having sex with more than one person. Yeah, in, in essence. <laughs> um, or at least having sex with the wrong person. Um, well, yeah, well, that's the whole, that's the beauty of it, is that you never know how it started. Yeah. But at some point, someone had sex with the wrong person, and then they had sex with someone else. It's about promiscuity. It is turning yes. the Whatever. virgin trope on its head and making it about everybody yeah. and about the millennial yeah. experience. And I, but I, I, I don't think it's treating it particularly badly, though. I don't think it's saying, well, this is wrong. Although, although it is and it isn't because it's not judging in the usual way, but by having this yeah, ghostly yeah, apparition yeah, that can inhabit the body yeah, of someone you love, yeah, especially and and I think it's very clever the way they make it that it could be your parent or your grandma or your friend or your neighbour <laughs> and you and, yeah and you yes and you yeah there's a really quite horrible death. bit where she tries to shank him to death yes um. Um, and you're only really halfway through and working out that it's not his actual yeah, mum, which is the funny thing Turns about it. Um, but, um, well, I, I think yes, I think you're right. I, yeah. I, I think there's two levels to that. I think uh, from a from the point of view of of this thing, whatever it is, following you and it and it's going after you because you had sex, then yes, it is it is being it is treating sort of sexual promiscuity quite judgmentally definitely yes but at the same time nobody within their yeah, world within, within the scope of that world yeah, is saying you shouldn't be doing yeah this. And, and furthermore yeah. i don't think it matters if you're a, a boy or girl I, no I, I think it's treating you perfectly even yes um yeah well there are lots and lots of things because there are the main girl she has a sister and she has friends and sometimes they're sitting and watching tv she talks to parents although it follows is also really great in the way that it, the experience is totally from the teenager perspective. I don't know if you remember, but mm. most of the time the parents are in the background, they're shaded or you don't see their heads. It's a really clever way of making this a fear that's only felt by the young. Yeah, yeah. Um, and um, yeah. I just thought it was such a good film. I really, it was one of those few films that I wanted to watch immediately as soon as soon as it finished to try and work out if you could see what was happening and it's all very ethereal and surreal and you can't quite work out when it's set but what what i love the most about it for the purposes of this podcast is that there are conversations left right and center which are which are between girls mm. or female characters of different levels which aren't really about a man per se but that's if you made the it follows the it in it gave it a gender it yeah. might be a bit harder to establish that but i think anyone watching that film will say this is a great horror film not this is a good film for female representation but i think that your point about equality in what happens to the characters is something really important yeah i think i think so in that case it is
I also think that I just I was just thinking about it for and and does the I mean does does the subject matter of horror in general just lend itself to I don't know less conversations about if provided you've got enough women in the plot does it lend itself to less conversations about men because you've got some kind of monster to worry about? Yeah, so it kind of it it, it lends itself to less conversations about anything other than escaping. Um, we watched Invasion of the Body Snatchers, and that was filmed in the 50s? Yeah, I can't remember exactly what year, 57, 56, something. And I would say that that was ahead of its time. I think probably just about it will pass the Bechdel test. There are definitely two main female characters that talk to each other, um, possibly about the things invading from outer space, mm. which may not be gender specific. But there are, you know, there are characters who are not fulfilling their female roles. You know, there is a mother, but there's also someone who runs a bar. Somebody sick out this way? There's been an accident. Funny, we haven't heard about it. Well, it just happened. The, the concept of sex in a horror film is a funny one because it's only really relevant up to about the end of Act One, I would, I would say, the, the three-act structure. Where if you took a two-hour film, you basically say the first half an hour is Act One, the next hour is Act Two, and yeah. the last hour, half hour is Act Three. So it's really the, the, the end of the beginning, usually because at that point in a horror film, something scary happens, or some guy comes up with you with a knife, or an alien attacks you, whatever it happens to be, and all yeah. of a sudden sex goes out the window. So in some respects, horror films have an advantage for the Bechdel test, because they really only should be talking about, the women should only be talking about men, or, or for that first half an hour, it's really that their window of opportunity is quite small. After that, they should be worried about fighting off that guy with a chainsaw. There's still a guy. It is still a guy, though. Yeah. There's still... But is that... Yeah, I suppose it would be... If, if you would say... Yeah, if you yeah, say... Yeah. If it's um, Leatherface, you're talking about... Le two girls are talking about running away from Leatherface, it's fake. So, that again comes back to this point where I was sort of making a call at the start about, well, does it then matter if, if, the, if the monster's a man or woman? No, but I would like there to be more women. I would as well. That's my point. I would as well. But I think that the horror genre likes to make most of its protagonists male. But that would be the antagonist, the monster. Uh, sorry, antagonists male, sorry. Um, and I think that you'd already pass the Bechdel test if you had a female monster antagonist, because everyone would be talking about them. And therefore, like you said, after Act 1, you get into Act 2 and 3, and you're only talking about escaping from this female character. Yeah. But in the same sense, um, does that mean that this is better for women on film? Uh, going back to species, that's a, that's a good idea, because that's where you have the antagonist who's using sex. Natasha Henstridge's character basically gets uh, what she wants from men by shagging them. Yeah, great career. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, one, th one thing I would say about female monsters on the occasions where they do occur, so I think you're talking really aliens and, and species, and there may be one or two other examples uh, 
female vampires and things like yeah. that. Um, I suppose let the, right, let the Right One In would be a good example of it. Um, is that they, I don't know, as a viewer, I think you, you perceive that they have more of a, they have a more of a, an ethical motive behind them than, than a, a male antagonist. Well, that's interesting. So you think it's a female characteristic to have some kind of moral sensibility, even when you're an antagonist. Well, the thing is, I mean, the alien and aliens protecting is, the is species. protecting the species. Well, yeah. the the creature in species is is essentially trying to propagate, pro propagate the species. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know about let the right one in, but she's basically just trying to survive. It would appear she she seems to be relatively well intentioned. She doesn't seem to. Yeah, she seems to have an understanding that she needs to kill for herself, but that it may be morally wrong. Now, now I think all of these, yes, they are, you know, what they can do to people is pretty horrendous and they, and they will kill. But I think you can, you know, have half an eye on their, on their moral dilemma there. And I'm not sure that it's wholly... I don't, I don't know, whereas I think with male characters, I think, again, if you look at le le Leatherface or something like that... Yeah. Uh, or Michael Myers, without... that they don't have any real purpose. Yeah. It, it is ultimately just, I'm just going to kill without meaning. So we can't think of a horror film with a female antagonist with no moral centre. That's interesting. I don't know what that means. Other than... Well, I think that when you have a bad guy in any type of film, um, Sometimes it's interesting when you find out why they're doing what they're doing because it makes them a more well-rounded character. But other times, and I suspect this is happening more and more these days, and perhaps there's a kind of post-dystopic um, feel about these things, is that I think there are films being made where a character has no remorse. I think we're incredibly interested as viewers in the psychopath. Mm. the Hannibal Lecter type character because we'd call Silence of the Lambs a horror yeah, and that has would. an incredibly strong would, yeah. female lead a great yes. character yeah, yeah, in Clarence Starling yeah. I have no idea if it passes the, the strongest test ever, yeah, she pro it probably does but, but by the skin of its teeth because almost everyone else in the FBI seems to be a man um, <laughs> but she's fighting against it yeah, and she is strong, but Jodie Foster is not Sigourney Weaver in terms of her physicality. I think she's a bit shorter and smaller. She has a vulnerability, um, and she has intelligence and uh, a moral compass as well. And Hannibal Lecter seems to have no remorse and is playing a game, but is very intellectual with it. There's something to be said that more films need to be made like Silence of the Lambs than necessarily those that have one scene in them between two girls talking about hair colour, like Cabin Books. Hold it for genre. Well, no, it's, well, it's subgenre. Comedy, horror, thriller horror. They're still, they're still both within horror because, you yeah. know, Science of Lambs has got a scene I've never even seen because I close my eyes every time where he eats the person's face off in the elevator. I don't know what happens in that scene because no, I've watched that film lots of times. Barely, time. barely anything. But, you know, it's rated 18. 
Um, yeah, that's like psychological that's psychological they, horror. They say well, yes, that too. Did I say that in The Exorcist? She says you, your mother remember. sucks cocks in hell. <laughs> horror movies give women more license to swear than most other movies, so that's something to think about. Special Agent Starling. Huh? Special Agent Man. Phone call. Excuse me, Jim. Starling? Look, I just wanted to say congratulations. And uh, I'm not much good at this kind of thing, so I'm going to duck out of here. Okay, sure. Thank you, Mr. Crawford. Your father would have been proud today. Don't forget your phone call. Starling. Wow, Clarice. Have the lamb stopped screaming? Dr. Lecter. Don't bother with the trace. I won't be on long enough. Where are you, Dr. Lecter? I have no plans to call on you, Clarice. The world's more interesting with you in it. So you take care now to extend me the same courtesy. You know I can't make that promise. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Okay, so in terms of our purpose here, yes. we're looking at what we need to do to add or take away from the Bechdel test when <laughs> It's applied to horror movies. Well, I think like all things, like like, like all these discussions we've had, we're coming. I, I feel like we seem to always come to this conclusion, or not 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 conclusion, but we always seem to question. Well, is it a good test? Actually, is it really? What, what we've what we've really just said is that the Bechdel, the horror movies pass the Bechdel test more than most genres, and yet we're not exactly sat here saying. Well, those are resounding feminist films, are we? No, I can't think of many feminist horror films. I think The Babadook is an example of one. You know, you have a female horror director, and apart from Alessio Argento, I would say that the Bechdel test would be improved if you add something in about two female characters on screen talking to each other not about a man and neither of those characters is forming any stereotypical female behaviors like what a virgin who decides she isn't going to be promiscuous um i was going to say dressing in a particular way but that's not right either because that would suggest that you are relating how you dress to your promiscuity. So maybe we should have female characters on screen that, that dress exactly as they want, but it has no reflection. But I think that, I think strength is something we can get to here. Horror films yes. can be good for female representation because they allow female characters on screen to show strength through adversity in the same way that you might see a male character in a war movie. I agree. Uh, they, yes, that's a, yeah, that's a good analogy. 
I'm just not sure they're really doing it in horror films at, at the level that we would all hope. I, st I still think even the surviving girl from the cabin in the woods is ultimately a sort of terrified, crying girl. Well, just, and that is just not a good representation. Yeah, that's where the Babadook wins, because by the end of that film, again, spoiler alert, um, the mother and the daughter, uh, sorry, the mother and the son have both overcome their feelings of grief and despondence and despair, and they have effectively beaten the Babadook. But the Babadook lives in their cellar, and the Babadook is still available to come out and scare them but they have mastered it and yet not um banished it forever yeah that's the message no, he didn't get it's, it it's a no and he's creeping <laughs> and he lives in the cell he I might, he might be he might be as well but i thought that was a really good ending because um the true mastering in a horror film is to find the thing you're most scared of and put yourself in a position where you become less scared of it. Mm. And that's one of the few films where that's actually happened in that way versus vanquishing a demon. So, what can we get to here? We need more horror films with female protagonists and female antagonists. I, I do think having... Okay, I, I think I'm onto something with my female antagonists concept. Yeah. Because it is just not something you see that often in a... I mean, you, to be fair, in a lot, on a lot of occasions, the, the antagonist is slightly androgynous anyway. But where they are attributed some sort of gender, it's nearly always male. Yeah. And I think I'm onto something if I say that the antagonist is female. It changes the dynamic of the film slightly. For the better. Yeah. For women. I think it does. Okay, well then let's end it with this. In order to add to the Bechdel test, horror films need to pass the Bechdel test and they also need to have, wherever possible, a female antagonist. <laughs> well, you It's know. asking quite a lot. <laughs> that's, that's, yeah, let's not ask for the moon here. I don't want to see every antagonist female. I'm just saying it might be interesting to see if we... Yeah, but we can't think of very many at all. No, so we let's couldn't. just say... I, did think of, I suppose we mentioned yeah. Misery as well. I forgot about that. Yeah. But if, we made it, but, but if we said if we could get to half of all films being made from now on with a female antagonist, then that would be fair. We, we just finished watching um, Stranger Things yeah. with that creature. Is that, yes. a, is, that a, is that a male or a female? It didn't seem to have genitalia. No, but what would you say if you had to, if you were to ascribe it a, gen, a gender watching it? Oh, are we going to get into vagina monsters? No, no <laughs> I, I know what I think it is. I think it's a man. You think it's a man? Mm. You see, I think it might have been a woman. It did look, its face looked like a vagina, I agree. A vagina <laughs> That doesn't too. necessarily mean... Yeah. Um, I, I, that is a woman because that's a vagina of, face. A sort of radial symmetry yes. vagina. Yeah. Uh, but I still think it looks basically like a man. But that is definitely a separate subject, which is in horror films, why do all of the monsters have faces that look like giants? That's like a common thing. 
<laughs> or is that just what we see? Is that what I see? Have I got a problem? No, in, in, in the Alien films, that's a well-known thing. Well, can I ask another question then? Yeah. I saw the monster in Stranger Things as female, and you saw the monster as male. So maybe yeah. what we really need is more um, androgynous the, monsters. More exposition telling us where, whether it's a male or a female. No, 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 more androgynous monsters. <laughs> and therefore, gender is off the All table. Right. Let me play another one to you then. Yeah. Predator. Man or woman? Man. Why is that? Well, you ne- never explain. He's, never he's explain. got very long hair. He's got this long hair, but I always assume it's dreadlocks. Well, that was a, that, 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 what it was in. It, there was some racial hot water there, wasn't yeah. there? Yeah, the dreadlocks. But um, well, I've always steered away with this podcast in talking about race because um, when you're talking about female representation, I am a white woman, and I think I come to it from a position of bias, which is I'm generally talking about white women. I think if you are a woman of color. In a horror film, you have a shit time of it. So, so this whole thing. If you're a promiscuous woman of colour, you are. Uh, you're barely going to make it to the opening credits. Yeah, I think is Jada Pinkett in Scream. I think she might be. Okay. I think she's the most famous person I can think of colour, which says it all. Um, in a horror film, a woman in a horror film. And I apologise for not being able to think of any others, but I think that speaks to it. So I think something else that we need to think about is um, representation of women in horror films of all different races and nationalities. Even the um, uh, non-English language cinema I've seen, you either have European cinema, or I don't think you have many people of colour, or you have Japanese, Chinese, Korean, which means in, in that term, in that sense, Asian women are quite highly represented in horror that, that um, translates across the world. But I think if you are black, you have a really hard time with it. Even Get Out, which we haven't mentioned, has a whole different subset of issues in terms of how it highlights race, doesn't have many... Yeah. Female characters. It, it, it has the, um, the there has an old woman and it also has a younger housekeeper. And I think the woman who, whose name escapes me is absolutely fantastic who plays her with her tears. But it's not really about a black female experience. It's about a black male yeah, experience. Yeah, well, it's just the step sort of transplanted into a, into into a about black, black male yes. sort of concept, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. However, Alison Williams' character, who I do remember because she's been in Girls, not just because she's a white woman, I hope. Um, is the antagonist. Well, the whole family is. Mm. But, you know, one of the twists in the film, spoiler alert, is that um, she is the bad guy and has been luring all of these guys. And again, she is doing the same thing that often happens, which is when you're an antagonist, um, you use sex. Which, in a way, is kind of insulting to men. Mm. It suggests that every single man... (laughs) will do anything a woman says if she's hot and promises him sexual favours. So you could be offended by that. It is not without merit. (laughs) Well, okay, fine. If you want to do your own gender (laughs) disservice. So I think at the end we have here uh, more female antagonists, more female people of colour in horror films, full stop, and and making it through 
the film and not being knocked off because there was token character and also more antagonists when they are female not using sexual wiles in order to meet their demands because I don't think you see male baddies for example doing they use strength and fear to get what they want I'm not entirely sure the female antagonists no. do no. Well, again, there's so few and far between the female antagonists, and they, you know, they may be female in inverted commas, but they're really monsters stroke big male. So it's, you know, I don't think that if they call me an alien, came to me and said, yeah, I'll sleep with <laughs> you, if you if you leave my eggs alone, I'd say, okay. frankly, I'd rather die than sleep with you and your eggs of toast. Where's my flamethrower? Mm. Anything you'd like to add? No, I'm good. So, horror might be good for the Bechdel test, but we need more female antagonists. Well, it might be good for the Bechdel test, but potentially reveals are done for the Bechdel test as well. Yeah, and flaws in cinema mm. in relation to women as a whole. Mm. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you so much to Nick and thank you for listening to this two-parter. If you have anything that you want to tell us or any subjects you're interested in, then please email us at beyondbeck, B-E-C-H, at gmail.com or you can find us on Twitter at beyond underscore Beckdale. Thanks very much. Until next time, stay safe.